Welcome back to another episode of The Money Barrel. This week, Kayla got to spend some time with Jana Brown. If you've been to any of the big-time fraternity races, you know it's common occurrence to hear Jana's name announced in the winner's circle. This week's episode is brought to you by K&L Barrel Horses. K&L Barrel Horses is proud to represent two upcoming sires, KL Limitless and Taken on Shawnee. KL Limitless is an own son of Stoli, out of an own daughter of Anna High, and already has money-earning offspring in the fraternity arena, roping pin, and in mounted shooting. Taken on Shawnee is an own son of Shawnee Bub, and his foals have won everywhere from fraternities, the junior high rodeos, and the pro rodeo ranks. These stallions sire horses that can win in the speed events, take a long day on the ranch, yet are quiet enough that kids can ride them. All offspring are eligible for the K&L incentive, where we match what you win. Any discipline, any state, up to $5,000. K&L barrel horses put money back in the pockets of the owners and breeders who breed to KL Limitless and Taken on Shawnee. Find them on Facebook at KL Barrel Horses or visit their website at www.knlbarrelhorses.com. All right, Kayla, take it away. Jana, you're up. This is the Money Barrel. All right. Uh, today we get the chance to talk to Jana Brown after her super busy last couple of weeks at the American and everything. And we are able to sneak a little bit of time away from her while Jake is taking a nap. So thank you for giving us this time. I know you're busy. Yes, you're welcome. How's it going down there? Did you guys recover from the Texas storm? Yes. We survived the Texas storm. We froze. We did not uh, get what we wanted from it as far as killing all the bugs, but we survived. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that works? Yeah, we already had gnats out chasing the horses around, driving them crazy. <laughs> oh, gross. Gross. Yeah. Well, the freeze did not work as far as that goes. Oh, gosh. Were you at the Royal Crown having to battle all that stuff? So I didn't go to Royal Crown until I think Friday because oh. we didn't have any water here at our house for three days. And I didn't want to leave my husband with 20 head of horses toting water with a small child. So I decided to just wait and go at the very last minute. Oh, I yeah. I could not even imagine. Mm-hmm. Could not yeah. imagine. Well, walk us through your past couple of weeks. I know it's been busy and, and you had some some big runs to make. Yeah, it's been really busy. Um, it's been a lot of fun, but it's been busy, and it's, I'm kind of glad to be home now riding my Colts. But uh, so the semis at the for the American, I got to get back on Jules, and she did what Jules can do and won the longbow. And I wasn't shocked because I didn't think she wasn't capable of doing that, but I honestly was not expecting her to be that good that soon with us just getting back together, you know? Yeah. So that was really fun. And then she made another good run in the perf on Wednesday and ran his 13.6, which was obviously slower than her 13.30, but I was super proud of her. But she ended up placing fifth in the purse, and so we got to go to Arlington. And it was a little overwhelming, I, I know, for her. For me, I mean, 
who wouldn't be overwhelmed, I guess, by the lights and the, just the atmosphere. I mean, it's exciting to be there, but um, she handled it really well. But it was a little, it was a little much for her, I think. Right now, like probably next year, if Haley gets to take her to more rodeos and get her in more perfs, I'm sure it'll be even better next year. But she could use a few perfs to be ready for that place because that is definitely for a rodeo horse. And that place, I mean, that's not even like a performance. I mean, I've been on the ground level there and it is just, it is bigger, it is louder, it is more electric, even in a COVID year, I'm sure. Like it is, it is something else. Yeah, it's very overwhelming. Like the the lights, you know, you think of you think of bright lights when you go to certain places, but really until you like step foot in there, even from practice morning of to that night, there was no comparison because it was dark outside, you know, and then the I don't know if the skylights have something to do with it during the day, but at night those bright those lights are just it's like a surgery room in there. It's bright. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was It was a lot. And the noise, it's a big building, and so you'd think the noise would be, you know, pretty distributed, which it is, obviously. But it's just, it's a very extravagant place. So, but she handled it well. I mean, it's definitely one of those things where if you make it all the way through to the end, you're definitely at an advantage to have a horse that's been there, done that rodeo-wise, mm-hmm. like, you know, been to finals or Houston or Calgary or wherever. But I'm not going to say I wish I had to go on because it was a great experience, and I'm so thankful I got to go and get back on Jules. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about Jules because I think it's really cool that you trained her and then she almost, like, went away to college with Haley and then you got her back and kind of got to experience that rodeo world with her. Yeah. So she came to me when she was three and funny story is I had just gotten my, I had just broken my femur right before she came and um, Donna and Damon Hodges that owner, you know, they didn't have to bring her to me because they knew I had a broken leg and I was going to be off for a little while. And so um, the girl that works for me, Madison McCaffrey, she's worked for me for six years almost now. She, um, she actually, they brought her because they knew Madison and they knew me. But so the deal was Madison would lope her and just keep her ridden until I could get back on her. And so Madison and my husband, Jody, they kind of got her going like around just lefts and rights on the barrels and stuff until I was ready to wrap again. And so I guess I had to give Madison some credit on that deal because, I mean, she's the one that took her around the barrels for the first time. But they kept her in for me. Fast forward three months, I, um, I started riding again. I wasn't supposed to be riding yet, but I started riding. <laughs> and um, Jules was pretty spooky. And she's still, she's a little watchy still, but nothing like she used to be. But anyways, she, uh, I went to get off of her one day. I had ridden her a couple of days, finally got to get on her, and so like the third day, I'm stepping off of her, and my leg wasn't very strong, so it kind of jerked across the top of her hip when I got off of her, and she spooked from me, jumped sideways, jerked me a little ways, so we got off to a little bit of a rocky start. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> not, not really all her fault, kind of me being stupid, starting to ride too soon, but... um. 
so yeah, she came to me as a three-year-old. That's kind of how things started. You know, I had a broken leg. Madison and Jody got her going, but she took to the barrels really easily, and she was always real turny. Always wanted to try her butt real hard. And she was, but she was always pretty watchy, spooky. So the biggest thing for her all along through her fraternity year, you know, exhibition or to get her ready for her fraternity year, and then into her derby years was all trying to keep her focused and just get her to settle. It just took her a little longer. And she was clocking crazy times as a three-year-old, like in the fall of her three-year-old year. And she kind of, um, she didn't do anything terrible, but she kind of fell apart, you know, here and there at a few places. And so we decided to just back off and give her some more time. And so by that fall, though, things were starting to click. And she finally um, got her head on straight. And she ran, I think she ran three fifteen fours in Oklahoma City her, at the BFA. And she ended up winning third in the fraternity at the BFA. And that's when everything kind of like, you know, took off with her. And then I had her, her two derby years, and she won. She did really well those two years, you know, different places, won a few derbies, placed at some. Yeah, and then Haley took her. It was about a year ago. Um, this time, about a year ago, Haley came and rode with me a few times, and then she took her and started taking her to some videos. And she's been in quite a few slacks, not many purfs, but I think now she's going to, you know, get her into some purse now that she's learned how to handle the ground and stuff. She might have shown that she's able to. Like, she, yeah, she's yeah. got it. <laughs> oh, she's got it. She's had it from day one, and that's the funny thing. You know, like, when you train for charity horses, you're on a timeline. So mm-hmm. you need things to happen, like, sooner than later, and you need them to get better, not go backwards. So we had a lot of, you know, 10 steps forward, 20 steps backwards. We had a lot of that, but we, my husband always told me, don't quit that mare. It's there. Don't quit her. And honestly, I don't know that I would have quit her altogether, but he is honestly a lot of the reason I kept, you know, digging for ways to figure it out because, I mean, he was right. It, it was always there. She just took a little longer, so. I think that's a really important lesson, especially with those fraternity cults that are so talented I mean, it goes to show that they can fall apart. And as long as you respond correctly, you can put them back together. Yeah. And obviously. Just need, they just need more time. Mm -hmm. They're just like people. It just, it doesn't all come together as soon or as easily, but it will. If you just wait, if you can wait, I mean, some people don't, can't wait, but Donna and Damon have been awesome through the whole thing because they, they knew, they knew everything that was going on. We always, you know, had a good communication. And so, like, there was a month or two where they just took her home and turned her out and let her be a horse. And then when we got her back up, she was, okay, I'm ready to do something again. She was good. And obviously, she's solid. I mean, she's lasted uh-huh. her derby years, her rodeo years. Like, she has the foundation now. Oh, yeah. Do yeah. you get... I. I get a, I know a lot of fraternity riders, as soon as that fraternity year is done, that horse is gone. Um, do you get to ride them a lot through their derby years? Not usually. Um, I kept, I've kept a few 
through their first derby year. Um, honestly, I would love to get to keep some of them longer, mm-hmm. but it's not part of the plan. A lot of them get sold, or they go home for the the kids to ride, or you know, the owners, whoever owns them. But um, usually, don't have many derby horses. Like I actually have one this year. Have two. One. One's not, she's hurt right now, but the other one I still have from last year. And that, there's been a few throughout the years, but I usually don't have any derby horses. I've thought about that a couple times because I think some horses, you know, at the end of their fraternity year, they're they're pretty solid. They can go on. But, you know, if those horses are able to stick with their trainer for a little bit longer, get a little bit more solid, like I only feel like that can do them better you know, just oh, yeah. really help mm-hmm. keep them together versus, you know, give them to somebody else, you know, yeah, all, yeah, no, all I, of that stuff. I definitely feel like if they can stick with what they're used to and stick with that, you know, routine that they're used to a little bit longer, mm-hmm. just so they can grow up a little bit more too, I think it makes for a better horse in the long run. Because, I mean, when we get them, like Jules, you know, I bought her as a three-year-old, and then she left when she was – seven and she was here for four years yeah like her whole world like her this was her home so when she left everything changed and obviously it did not hurt her you know going to Haley but say she had left the end of her fraternity year and she was just starting to figure things out that would have probably been a whole nother story exactly and I mean kudos to the the Hodges and you know her owners for recognizing that and you know kind of I know it costs more money to pay a trainer a little bit longer but it really did better for Jules in the end definitely so we kind of got into the stories but I wanted to ask about the semi since it just wrapped up um but let's go backwards a little bit and tell us a little bit about your background and you know did you grow up with horses, and what led you to training fraternity colts? Uh, my has trained barrel horses, still does um, today. My dad trains race horses, but he doesn't anymore. He's retired. But um, and my stepdad, he's a horseshoer and trained. Or he roped. He was a team roper, and so I grew up around horses. You know that's all we did and uh went to use rodeos my mom would get my mom had a lot of fixer-upper horses and so we learned how to take I guess you can say one man's trash and turn it into our treasure (laughs) that's what we rode through you know youth at the youth rodeos and junior well they didn't have junior high rodeo back then but in the high school and um, I high school rodeoed, college rodeoed, um, went to college, said I wasn't ever going to train horses for a living because I knew how much work my parents were always doing. Got a degree, and here I am training horses. Here you are. <laughs> <laughs> but I got into training fraternity horses. Obviously, I grew up, you know, I didn't, I'm not going to say I grew up training horses, but I grew up riding a lot of just horses with problems. My mm-hmm. mom would always have to fix something, and she did train horses for other people. But so in 2010, I decided I wanted to try to make finals, and I had a really good horse. Um, his name was Perks Advantage, called him Willie, and I was doing really well. Everything was going great, and I was in the top 10. 
and it was in May, I believe, he tore his dispensary. And so it was kind of like a a good old-fashioned reality check. Okay, here you are. You have no job. <laughs> Your horse that made you money is crippled, so you better figure out what you're going to do. So I kind of changed my plans around. I didn't want to be a – I didn't want to rodeo full-time, so I figured I would just start taking some horses to – train and so I didn't really take fraternity horses at first although I had had you know a few before that which Willie was a he was a fraternity colt and I won quite a bit on him but he was mine but uh so I just started taking more horses to ride and it it turned into full-time you know one horse led to another you learn get a little better try to become a better trainer and then so I just started training for charity horses full time and I guess in 2014 is when I really it got pretty good for me and that's what I've been doing ever since and it's way better as far as a steady income at least you know when you have horses in the barn you're going to get some kind of a check versus rodeos you might win or you might not yeah absolutely and like you said if not every horse can be a rodeo horse so if that one good one gets hurt you're kind of stuck yeah Yeah, I, i learned a lot of very valuable lessons that year you know because i was dead set on making the finals which what barrel richer doesn't have a dream of going to the nfr i mean i don't know very many little girls who ride who don't have that as one of their goals Mm -hmm. but life happens and you learn and you try to get better from what happens to you and here you find I mean I found myself training horses not because I didn't have to I mean I wanted to but um the way everything worked out it's been great and I honestly wouldn't change anything about what I'm doing now. So, so what, well, that, that's good to hear. Um, what is your training program like now? Like how many horses do you have in and how do you kind of like manage the fraternity world? So I probably have too many right now. (laughs) I have about 15 in the barn right now. Um, five of those are, running horses that I'm running right now and then the rest are three-year-olds so I just um I have two girls that work for me obviously with a little boy it makes things a little tricky because of time you know I can't stay at the barn until midnight and ride but um I usually don't haul more than five or six surety colts because I don't have a trailer bigger than a six horse, but I can't manage any more than that. Um, and be fair to all of them with Jake. Mm-hmm. And so I take that. I just I take kind of what people want to send me, and I and I mean I have a list, you know, about a year in advance, and then I kind of just go through and see what I fit or what I don't fit or what I think might need more time or. I try to do what's best for the horse, and then I'm not, I'm not really, I don't feel like I'm very good at getting the colt ready for the juvenile. I feel like I'm better at having one that 
you know, progresses a little later. But all of, most of the people that I ride for want, you know, good, solid horses. They're not dead set on just that one charity year. So for me, it actually works out better that way because I feel like I train a little slower than some people. So that's kind of what, I mean, that's what we do. We just, like, I just got some three-year-olds this past week. And I've had a few people say, isn't that kind of late to be getting three-year-olds? And I'm like, no, not really, because I don't have to have a party by November. You know, unless somebody wants me to take them to the juvenile, I don't, that's not the main goal. I that's did. one of the first things I ask them is, are you dead set on the juvenile? Because I just don't feel like I'm a very good trainer for that short time frame. I think I saw those videos that you posted and I actually really like that you did post them because weren't like you just started trotting them around the barrels. Mm -hmm. And I do think like sometimes, you know, I have a three-year-old that hasn't been started on the pattern yet. And you see people like fast running in March and I'm like, huh, <laughs> my, mine hasn't seen a pattern yet, but I mean, it just goes to show it, it just depends on what works for everybody. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a million ways to do this, and I tell people all the time, there's not just one way. There's, I mean, having a time frame kind of, it kind of stinks sometimes because I feel like I get myself in trouble because I feel like I'm having a rush. But, I mean, as long as when you get them, if I get them like, I, like one I just got this week, she's broke really well. Like, I can go straight to the barrels on her. That makes a huge difference. Now, if I get something, you know, this time of the year that I get on and it can't lift the circle yeah. or it doesn't know how to do anything, okay, that's a whole other story. So, um, and these owners that just brought that colt, they're not, they don't really care about the juvenile. It'd be great if she was ready and if she went and won money there, but that's not the main goal. You know, they want a horse to last a while and for their granddaughter to eventually ride. So it just depends on what everybody's end goal is. And do you think the addition of all of these incentives is kind of changing that for trainers as well? Yes, definitely. The All the incentive money has changed so much. Mm -hmm. For, I mean, so many ways. I mean, it's changed. I hate to even say this because my husband and I both said we would not buy a horse based on incentives. But... It's really hard not to uh, pick a horse on, um, you know, a, a set of papers, I guess you should say. It's really hard not to pick a set of papers with the bloodlines on it that you can go win that kind of money with. It just, it, you know, for business sense, if you can go have a chance at winning the kind of money that Pink Buckle and Breeders' Challenge and Royal Crown and Ruby and all those incentives pay out, it's just, it makes more business sense. Because we all know you're not going to get rich doing this. Yeah. I mean, training horses, if everybody thinks a horse trainers, they're just getting rich training horses. But really, no, you're not. If you can go win and have a chance at win, you know, $40,000, $50,000 at one security, that'll make more sense. And But you have to have the right horses to take to those places. Mm-hmm. And we said we were not going to be those people, you know, because there are. There's really good horses out there, really good studs that are not in any of those incentives. And you hate to overlook a good horse, but when it comes down to, you know, the part of making money or having something that's 
more money, it's hard to just not stay in that zone of incentives. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And we talk about it all the time. I mean, obviously, I, I have my own incentive program. Um, but, you know, we don't want to breed ourselves into a corner by just picking mm-hmm. the same 50 studs or 75 studs. But then again, you know, it's hard to be like, oh, I want to go test out this junior sire when he's eligible for, you know, nothing. Or the events he's eligible for, you have to outrun two, 300 horses like the elite, mm-hmm. the BFA, Fort Smith. So it's like they have to be really, really, really good or eligible for some other bigger money to, you know, kind of offset it. So it's going to be, you know, I'm thankful for the opportunity, but it's going to be interesting five years yeah. down the road to see where we're at. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it will be interesting. And, and I hate, because I mean, I have some horses here that aren't in any incentives. And I do not want to ever play favoritism to, you know, the ones that are. Because a good horse is a good horse. Mm-hmm. I mean, whoever will race, the best horse wins. But, and it may not be in, it, in any incentives. But it's, from a business standpoint, it's just hard to pass up that, you know, that side of it. So, for for, let me rephrase that, like for the security business part, people who have, you know, kids that go to youth rodeos and stuff, that's not a priority for them probably. Very true. And you don't have to have a pink buckle horse or any of that. For what I do and for, you know, some of the customers that I ride for, yeah, they want to have the most opportunity to, to make some money if they can because it's expensive to do this and I get it. So it's hard to pass that up. Yeah, it's it'll it'll be interesting, but I you know I think it's cool as far as you know. If, say you don't go to the BFA in November, you know there's some bigger events, and you know the Ruby Buckle and the Royal Crown, and you know early spring. Like if you're going by early spring, you don't necessarily have to wait a whole another year. Like you can just start a little bit later and still have a good chance at a good year. Right. Yep. Just an interesting thought that I've thought of a lot with yeah. all of this. Um, so how do you approach, you know, working the pattern, conditioning, kind of getting these colts ready? So when we start them on the pattern, um, I do lots of just like, I call it the five barrels, you know, just lefts and rights, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to think I had to get them all fancy, moving off, you know, picking a shoulder up and doing all these maneuvers when I first started them. And I know everybody has their own way of doing it, but for me, what works the best is if I can just get teach those horses to move forward, um, you know, actually see if they want to go around the barrel, but keep forward motion, uh, keep it simple, and try to keep it enjoyable for them. Just do lots of lefts and rights. Don't pick on them too much. And I've learned for me what works the best is um, let them kind of not get away from me by any means, but let them learn to move out more. And then when I start trying to teach them to maneuver their self a little, you know, a little more with their ribs and their shoulders and stuff around the barrels, obviously when they get broke, they learn to have a headset. But don't ask them so much to be so collected when I first start them so that they learn to move out first, so they know to move forward because it is a time event. We have to go forward. So 
Um, I do a lot of that. Uh, get them moving, you know, and and then join the, the turn. I guess I can, I should say. And then I kind of ask them to come back to me a little bit more after they figure that out. For me, that's what works the best. Um, I know, like I said, everybody does everything differently, but um, it also depends on the horse and if they're a real goey horse or if they're steady, because they'll kind of tell you in the beginning, you know, what they are probably more than likely going to turn out to be style-wise. Mm-hmm. I don't tend to get along with real front-endy horses. I can try to make it work, but in the end, I don't feel like I'm the right person for that. Um as far as conditioning goes, I just try to keep them, you know, when get in shape and keep them happy. We don't leave them in stalls 24-7. They have stalls with runs, and then they get turned out into pasture every day for a little while. And we try to let them be horses, and I do get blamed for my horses being a little too fat. <laughs> I don't like them skinny. But I don't feel like they're fat and fluffy, you know, and not in shape. They're just healthy and full. So um, I just try to keep them happy. Like, if I have a horse here in training that I'm having trouble with and I can't seem to, I just can't seem to make it work, I'll just, I don't give up on them or call them, you know, no good or say they're not going to make it. Sometimes they just aren't ready for it or maybe they don't want to be a girl horse right then. So go rope on them or... Do something different with them. Don't force them to do something they don't want to do. That's kind of how we approach things around here. We try to keep everything simple. I think that's really valuable, and especially with the young horses, you know, they, they're they like teenagers. They can't handle mm-hmm. always being tuned on. Um, I'm really bad about that. I nitpick a lot, and I, I have to remind myself all the time to just oh, yeah. whatever, like relax. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Yeah. I'll catch myself picking on, you know, not picking to the point where they hate it, but being a little bit too particular sometimes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I realize, okay, well, just like yesterday, I was working a colt, and he wasn't doing anything terrible, but he wasn't, he wasn't doing what I felt like he should have been, and I kind of, I kind of got in a hurry, and I was trying to rush things, and I thought to myself, okay, just slow down, it's just March, like, you're not... You don't have to run this horse in a month so just let him figure it out and that's when that's where I have to be better as a trainer because I'll catch myself doing that often mm-hmm. and I have learned over the years just be patient like it'll it'll work out you know and if it doesn't if they don't figure it out and things don't go the way that they you think that they should just back off. I mean, it's been proven so many times. If you just back off and give them some space, it usually works out. Uh, there have been some, you know, instances where the owners want, they want answers like sooner than I can give them. And so I feel like I have to rush it a little more than I need to, you know, time Mm -hmm. is money, which we all know that. So I just feel like, I mean, they're having a barn full of of horses or colts is just exactly for me the same as a classroom full of kids. They're all different. They all learn differently. They they progress at different stages. Some can handle more pressure than others. I mean, they're literally just like a classroom full of kids. 
And you have to treat them all for what they are. You can't treat them all exactly the same. You can't train them all exactly the same. I mean, they are their own individual. Yes, and comparing is terrible, too. I also do that often. (laughs) It's a terrible thing to do. So how often do you communicate with your owners or send videos? Um, You know, we have a lot of different people listening, so maybe those that own horses. I mean, kind of what is that relationship with your owners? I try. I'm not going to say I'm the greatest at calling. I'm better with the text. Um, I, I know I know who doesn't like text messages, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I try to call more often. But it's hard when you're out there riding all day long, and when you come in and you have you know, a small child that wants your attention. So I try to at least, like when I first get them, just get them started, the videos don't come as soon because there's really nothing to send. You know, it's mm-hmm. just the same old going in circles. But once I get them kind of going... I try to send a video like once every two weeks or so. Just, I mean, whether it's good or bad, just so they know what's going on. Because a lot of the people that I ride for, you know, their horse comes and they don't see it for a year. Or six months to a year, they won't even see their horse. Yeah. So I try to send pictures. um, And like I said, once they get kind of, you know, low from the barrels or something, a video once every couple weeks is kind of what I try to do. Sometimes I I get um, a little bit lack on that, and I don't I don't get them sent. But I try to stay, you know, in contact with everybody and let them know what's going on. And if I get it one and I feel like, you know, within a month, they just don't. If they act like they don't care anything about it, I mean, I'll just be honest and tell them. You know, I don't, it's hard to tell in a month because a lot of those cults are immature. There's babies and they, it's like they just don't, it's almost like they don't know what they want to do. Not all of them. Definitely not all of them. But sometimes you'll have one come in that acts like it doesn't really want to be a barrel horse. And then if you just kind of, it's almost like if, if you as a trainer, you kind of lose your it's almost like if you're giving dams busted, they kind of go, okay, well, I'll try now because you're not forcing them. Yep. Sometimes they come on. Sometimes they don't. But no matter what they're doing, right or wrong, I try to make sure the owners know about all of it. You know, and if they have a sour attitude or if something feels wrong as far as soundness goes, um, because I don't want to, I don't want to train on a horse that, for one, doesn't want to do it, but I definitely don't want to try to make a horse do something they can't do because of a soundness issue. So I try to be very open, you know, minded, but communicate with the owners for sure as much as possible. And I have some owners who, I mean, they never call. They don't, they don't bother me at all. They just let me do my thing. So I have to make sure I do my part as far as, you know, getting in contact with them because they're not worried, which is a great thing because they trust me. Yeah, that's, it's got to be hard to kind of balance it sometimes, but especially if you train for some of the same people year in, year Mm -hmm. out, it, it helps as well. (laughs) When you have the same people and you, you kind of like, you know, I've got about four people that I have cults for all the time and 
I guess I get, I don't want to say lazy to making contact with other owners, but you just get used to them trusting you. And so you, you kind of just take advantage of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so I have to remind myself, Hey, you need to text or call so-and-so and let them know about their horse. So yeah, it's hard to juggle it all, but communication is a huge part of it. So when you take, you know, you said you had five horses running, but, you know, another 10 to 15 at home, do all of them make fraternity horses or what do you, I was going to say, what kind of is the percentage do you think that you're like, you know, it's, it's going to, might be a good horse, but it's not going to be a fraternity horse. It can go elsewhere. So no, they don't all make fraternity horses and that does not mean it's a bad horse. Mm -hmm. And some people are so misunderstood on that. They're like, well, if they didn't make a charity horse, they're just no good. No, that does not mean they're not a good horse. There's lots of horses that I have had here that I, you know, suggested let's not run them as four-year-olds. And they decided not to hold them till five. And so they were sold. Um, and someone, you know, whoever bought them spent a couple of years just letting them grow up and mature and they've made great horses there's two of them that came through here that made the semi didn't get to run as maturity horses here because i didn't feel like they were ready and so they went on and they've made great horses um but as far as like a percentage um i mean i don't want to say 50 percent of them make it or they don't Mm-hmm. But I, I, it really just depends on, like, the numbers that I have, you know, to start with that year. Because um, some years I have more than others. And then some owners don't even care if they make charity horses. They just want a good horse, you know, to run for years for their self. They just want something to go enjoy, something that will last and stay sound and stay sane. And so, I mean, if I get 10... Say I start with 10 three-year-olds. If five of them make charity horses, that's, to, for me, that's great. Because, I mean, a lot of times, well, like last year, I had a really nice three-year-old that I liked a lot. And I started exhibitioning her. She was doing great. And she did nothing wrong, but I could tell something was wrong with her. And so we finally figured out she had a let's crack and her stifle. So they did the surgery on her and she just didn't come back from it the way that she needed to, to be a fraternity horse. And so long story short, that mare did, she never did anything wrong. She never quit working. She just got really rough. And so the owners, I mean, they've had, they have lots of horses. They understand, you know, how everything works. And so we just discussed it and we decided it was probably best for her obviously not to be a fraternity horse, but they they considered maybe selling her, and then they decided to just breed her because she was bred so well and made so well and so good-minded. So, I mean, that's an example of a horse that probably would have made one, but, you know, something happened to her. Yeah. And it seems like every year something like that happens, to one or two of them, and then there will be a couple, you know, that just aren't mentally mature enough to run as a four or even maybe a five-year-old, and but they go on, they make great horses, and that's the thing, like, just because that horse didn't go in, you know, 80 to to $100,000 its four-year-old year, 
that does not mean that it's not a good horse or it's not going to make a good horse. Because some of them just need more time. And they, and it's actually better off in the long run that they get that time for their mental and physical well-being. Yeah, and the fraternities are just so tough. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's oh, yeah. A good horse doesn't place at fraternities. Like, yes. they have to be freaks, the elite, you know, the best of the best. And it's it's just so hard and I a little discouraging if you have a good horse, um, you know. But if you just stick with it, like, they, they still have their value and worth it. But gosh dang, mm-hmm. the fraternities are just like... Yeah, it's, you can leave a fraternity with your tail tucked super easily. <laughs> and, and have really good runs. Yes, and have really good runs. I mean, I love... Waco last weekend, the derby was great. Of course, I mean, Ben, how can you go wrong with Ben? <laughs> but um, the three fraternity colts I took, I knew one was pretty green, you know, it was the first fraternity. I knew the other two, I thought, you know, had a chance, and I just didn't have a great weekend. And I, I honestly left thinking, man, I have got a lot of homework to do. And that one filly's already won like $13,000, but I got my butt outrun. It just wasn't my weekend. And so I came home and told my husband, I said, I need to go to more jackpots, and I've got some work to do. And he said, you'll figure it out. That's what he always says. You'll figure it out. So, yeah, you can leave a fraternity with your tail tucked in a heartbeat. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just kind of like you said earlier, like, Jules ran a 13.3, but she came back a little bit slower and ran a 13.6. And, like, a 13.6 is still like ridiculous oh, yeah. in that arena and that's kind of like fraternity horses it's like oh they didn't run a 15-2 in Waco oh bummer uh-huh. <laughs> you know it's just it's funny how how we get used to just how phenomenal these colts are yeah and when you and when you have one year of having a super good horse and and you get spoiled to you know winning at fraternities it makes it really hard the next year, if you don't have one of those standout, and you're not usually going to have one every year. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way. Yeah. And so going from, you know, a great year to, which is just March, like the year's just started really. But you you can get so caught up in not winning, you know, right off the bat that you can kind of get your, I mean, you, you get your confidence will get taken away from you so easily, but you just have to remember, like, those horses that are a little later to, to come on, they'll they'll catch up and they'll they'll figure it out, but you can't get down because when you get down, I'm pretty sure those horses know you are down, and they need you to not be that way. Yeah, they have no idea the superstar you had the year before. They're just no. <laughs> They're just trying to figure out how to place their feet. Yep, exactly. That's funny. Um, well, I don't think your story would be complete without talking about Jake and Jody a little bit. Um, and just kind of, you know, we, we talked about a little bit and how you balance it. But but what did having Jake kind of change with your program? You know, how do you balance being a mom in fraternity cults? Because obviously fraternity cults have one year. Um, but you also have a baby that's growing every day. Like, how how do you work around that? It's, um, it is definitely a juggling act and every day is, you know, like I know what days, um, I have a babysitter and sometimes things change, 
every day is a little bit of a challenge, not in a bad way. Like, I wouldn't trade this for anything. Having mm-hmm. Jake actually made me realize just because everything doesn't go perfectly every day, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world. Like, it's going to work out. And uh, so, for instance, you know, there's a lot of horses here to ride, and I have help. And if I didn't have help, I could not do it. There's no way. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, like, we we make a plan every day, and we try to get everything done. But what doesn't get done that day, we just start with the next. Because really, that's all you can do. Because like I said, I can't, you know, I can't go to the barn at 6 o'clock in the morning and stay till midnight or 10 o'clock at night. I can't do that anymore. I mean, I used to do that. Yeah. And I could get everything done every day. And But now things are different. Like, I have to, you know, get Jake to the babysitter or wait for the babysitter to come here. And then, you know, every day at 4.30, I have to get Jake pick him up. And so... I know how much time I have throughout the day to do so many things and it can be very overwhelming and this time of the year is really hard because I have, you know, all the three-year-olds are here to kind of pick through and figure out who can do what and who might be ready and so I just, every day, I'm not going to lie, I'd be lying if I didn't say I, I do stay a little stressed out because I feel like every day or or like if it rains and I don't get to ride one day it's like I'm a step you know I'm I'm another day behind and so it gets pretty stressful but I try to just well like today I just told myself okay I'm going to do what I can do and whatever I don't do tomorrow is Saturday I know it's a weekend but I'm not going to any rail races so I'll just pick up where I left off and you know do what I can but having Jake made me realize it's not really it's not it's not all about how much you can do it's how much of quality time you can give to something so it's not it's not about spending an hour on each horse and it even if you just spend you know 20 minutes on a horse make sure whatever you did with them it was something positive, like they learned something positive, whether it was fast or slow. Just don't, don't try to get in a jam with anything and, you know, rush through it because it's not going to do you any good. So. I love that because I, I mean, I don't have 15 head of horses, but I do have, I do have a real job. (laughs) And so it's, it's the same thing. I mean, it's like, well, I used to be able to go haul after work Mm -hmm. to go ride Mm -hmm when we have 27 inches of snow and now that's not an option. (laughs) Like I can't, I can't go haul four days a week anymore. Um, so it definitely makes you utilize what time you have better. Mm -hmm. I feel. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, like I know what cults are out there. I know who I can get on and who does not need to be rushed. Yes. I don't want to rush any of them, but like, (laughs) I know, you know, you kind of pick your battles, I guess you can say. Yep. So there's a few that if I get on them and rush them, it's not going to do anybody any good. So if all you have is 10 minutes left until you have to leave to go get, or if all I have is 10 minutes left before I have to leave to go get Jake, the 10 minutes that I spend on that horse is going to be what will benefit that horse. You know, whether it's at a trot. I mean, and that sounds, that may sound terrible to some people, but actually anything positive you do with, I mean, it's just like humans. 
if you do something positive in a positive way and they're not scared of what you did, then you actually did make a little progress. You know, you didn't go backwards at least. Yeah. And I kind of started thinking of it as like you're training their mind versus like physically getting them in shape. Yeah. You're not going to get them in shape if you only ride them for 10 minutes, but you can work on that three-year-old mind and only need five minutes, 10 minutes. Yep. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's even instances where I know I don't have time to get on that colt and ride it long enough to get it really pay attention to what I'm doing. So I'll just go to the round pen and we'll work on, you know, their face a little bit. You know, if they're doing something I don't like, I'll just go to the round pen and put a smooth snaffle in their mouth and work on them. Because sometimes that's all that's all I have time for. And and I don't I don't really like the fact that that's all I have time for, but that's really all I can do. So as long as I did something, you know, and I didn't scare them, then okay, we made progress. I love it. I love it. Well, I won't keep you too much longer because I do know time is valuable. <laughs> um, but where where are you headed to next? I mean, people, I'm sure a lot of people saw your videos on Jules and Betty, and it's going to be fun to watch you this year. But um, what does the rest of your spring look like? Um, I'm probably not going to. There's a possibility that I'll go to Chickasha okay, to the Select Stallions um, for charity. But I'm really going to stay closer to home until the BBR for charity and the Ruby Buckle for charity. Um, okay. And then Fort Smith will be after that. So um, uh, Andrea and I talked about taking Benny to a few rodeos, but there wasn't really anything super close. And I don't have a card, so I would have had to buy a card for one rodeo. And I was like, well, I won't do that. So we're just going to kind of go from there and, Benny can't go to the Derby at Fort Smith because he ran as a five-year-old. Oh, a yeah. But, um, so he'll go to, I'll go to the BBR and Ruby for sure. And there's a possibility I'll go to Chickasha at the end of March. But I'm just going to stay around home and get these three-year-olds going a little better and maybe start exhibition in a few of them that I've had a little longer and, um, and just work on my security cults and just get them a little bit better too. So I like being home. I'm a homebody. <laughs> I used to, I, I never thought I would say that, but I love being home. Especially now that, you know, we have Jake and he's grows up fast and he's into all his tractors and all of his equipment and his dirt pile and it's fun to be home. Awesome. Well, I do appreciate your time. I'm so glad we got to talk and hopefully you might make your way up to Colorado in June. Maybe, yes, I would love to come out there. Maybe we'll get to sure see you. Yeah, I would love to come out there. Awesome. Thanks so much, Dana. We'll talk to you later. Okay, thanks. Bye. Bye. All right, well, that wraps up this week. Big thanks to Jana for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk to us. Head over to knlbarrelhorses.com and get involved with their program today. KNL has some awesome stallions and their incentive program is making sure that you get the most bang for your buck. You all run fast, be safe, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>